Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you, and I would like to extend a welcome as well to the folks joining us, of course, on our live stream. You know, every step along the way here has been a learning curve. First, they took away all the people, and you get used to looking at just a camera, and then they give back some people, and so the folks on camera have a learning curve as well because you all are seeing a broader picture and the backs of people's heads, and uh, I'm not staring directly at the camera the whole time. So with that said, uh, away we go. And I would love to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians uh, chapter 4. And ordinarily here, I would invite you as well to find your sermon notes in your bulletin, but you'll have to get those online this week. Next week, we will have a little more lead time, and of course, I expect having a bulletin and all of that next week, but we've made the decision to go ahead without it for today. But Colossians chapter 4, today we will be concluding our study through this book, and, um, and I'll say a word in a moment about how we're going to move ahead. But I, I, want to, I want to begin with just a couple of comments about life and ministry. Of course, having missed you all for the last, well, I don't know, two years or something like that. It feels like it's been a while, uh, certainly not that long. But this, this all has kind of caught us by surprise. We were going along so nicely, and then all of a sudden life changed. And I want to just remind us today that God's people have regularly, down through the years, lived through times of intense change. It is unusual for things just to be smooth sailing forever. It is more usual for life to be changing and upside down and feel backwards. That has been more the experience. In fact, there are people today in other parts of the world for whom this is, this is really the reality, even worse uh, there are followers of Jesus in other countries where there's civil war and strife and, and uh, turnover of government and a coup and military unrest and living in danger. This is, that's normal for many, many people. It's just unusual for us to have this little blip on our radar screen. Just thinking back a bit on church history and remembering uh, back in the the, oh my goodness, the 400s, if you know a bit of your world history, it was 410, 80, August, uh, I want to say the 26th, <laughs> thereabouts, of 410 AD, when Rome, the eternal city, was sacked. 900 years of, of security came to an end that day. Our country is young compared to Rome. And that day when the eternal city was, was sacked, it took the world by surprise. In fact, Jerome, who was the, the one who translated the Bible into Latin, was in Palestine at the time. And his comment was, if Rome can be sacked, what can be safe? If Rome can fall, what can be safe? Now, at that same time uh, that all of that was going on in Rome, in North Africa... There was a man that you perhaps have heard by the name of Augustine or Augustine, uh, famous in the history of the church. Uh, he was bishop of Hippo, North Africa, hearing about all of this taking place in Italy as Rome uh, fell. 
And he, he in that latter years, years of his life, he was 55 at the time, um, right at the height of his ministry, he wrote a book that is still read today. You can still find it on Kindle or in hard print. But it, it was called The City of God. Classic in, in history of Christianity. And he, he contrasted the city of God with the city of man. One is temporary. No matter how much you love it, it's temporary. In contrast to the city of God, which is eternal. And even now for, for us, this many hundreds of years later, uh, we are wise to remember that we are citizens of another kingdom. Yes, I'm an American. I am. Love this country. But my first allegiance is as a citizen of heaven. And we got to know that, folks. We do. Uh, city of God, city of man. One is temporary. One is eternal. Paul comments on this, of course, in Philippians 3, as he says, uh, our citizenship is not of this world. Uh, you'd have to take a look at that text in particular. Uh, our, we are citizens of God's kingdom. Now, there are a couple of things I want to do here. I want to lead us toward the text, but in continuing this thought, just to give you a heads up, what, what I'm commenting on here is important. I want to I say a couple of things about where we're going in our preaching from here, okay? We're concluding Colossians today. And so here you go, thinking with the same thought, city of God, city of man, starting next week, we're going to begin a summer preaching series through the book of Daniel, all right? That's, that's a, that was a carefully chosen text, even before all of these things kind of blew up. Uh, book of Daniel, of course, is, a, is one that's often looked to, to kind of tell us what the future is going to hold, Right? Well, um, we'll talk about that along the way, but I want to plant this in your head ahead of time. The main message of the book of Daniel isn't what's going to happen tomorrow. All right? I hope to convince you of that over the next 12 weeks. The, the main message of the book of Daniel is what's true today. And the core message of the book of Daniel is you're going to hear for the next 12 weeks, so get used to it. The Most High, the Most High God, rules in the affairs of men. There. That's what the book of Daniel is about. The ancient of days. God is called the most high over and over and over again for a reason. The most high God. Daniel, servant of the most high God. I love that the way in which all those things are said. So summer, book of Daniel. Then this fall, and we're already working hard on this too. You, you, you might be surprised at the, the number of pages of literature you need to read to be, to be able to speak on some of these topics. This fall, there are some number of things happening in our country, like, oh, I don't know, a, a rather important election taking place. Um, we're going to be stepping into a, a preaching series on Christ and culture. Not just a Christian position on topics, though we'll talk about that but the posture of a Christian in relation to culture. That's a pretty big deal, too. And it's been spoken about, preached about uh, for, for a long time. And so we're looking at a whole number of things. That's going to be more of a theologically driven series, but I think it will, 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 will come at just a really good time for us. Christ in culture. So be prepared for that. A lot of work going into that uh, from, from a staff angle to be able to be wise in how we do it. Well, are we against culture? What, how does the church present itself? 
Are we fighting culture? Some churches embrace culture. Is Christ above it, below it, through it? What is this? So, so how shall we posture ourselves? And how shall we panic when things don't go our way in culture? So a lot of things, a lot of things for us to think about. But, but today, then, we conclude our thoughts in the book of Colossians. And um, I want to pray for us that God will help us as we, as we come to the text today. So if you join me in that, that would be wonderful. Father, I thank you so much for the time that we can spend together in the Word of God. This is an incredible privilege to come together as a church family and to place ourselves under uh, the Word of God and counting on the presence of the Spirit of God in helping us to understand it, to hear it, hear it well, to love it, and then to obey it. And our Father, that is our request again today, that we would come to the Word of God with our hearts set up upon Christ, ready to receive what it is you have for us here. So thank you for your, your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have access sermon notes on, on your mobile device, wonderful. If not, we'll just kind of work around that. Uh, you remember back in our preaching series that we have visited Galatians last fall, where we saw Paul defend the gospel. Colossians, largely, as Paul talks about applying the gospel to our lives. And this morning then... In this latter section that is full of names, okay, verses 7 to, to 18, you just think it's name upon name. It's, you think, well, what kind of a sermon do you preach on this kind of a paragraph? It's like reading a, a letter from one person to another and commenting extensively on the part that says, sincerely, Bill. Well, this section is longer than that, but I want to suggest to you today that there are some themes from the book of Colossians that are underscored even by the way Paul talks about his posse, his group. And specifically, I'm going to comment about three areas. Now, these are sprinkled through the text. You, you, this is not the kind of text where you say, you know, like verses 7 through 10 talks about this, and then, you know, 11 through 15 talks about It doesn't work quite like that. All three of these just percolate through this whole section. But I want to, I want to talk about the gospel in these areas. I want to talk about how the gospel calls believers to a common mission because all of these people are, are focusing on and going after a, a common core thing, a common, a common task. Second, I want to talk about how the gospel calls believers to an un, uncommon sacrifice. And sacrifice percolates through this text. There's a price to pay, folks. There is, to walk faithfully in this world. That's what Augustine talked about, as have others down through the years. How do I live faithfully in this world? And sometimes there's, a, there's an edge to it. In your ministries, some of you teach, some of you care for people, you hang out with teenagers, a whole variety of things happen here. Sometimes it's hard. And if you quit every time those little rascals didn't listen to you, there would be no teachers. If you, if you quit serving in the nursery every time they cried and threw up on you, there would be nobody left serving in the nursery. Um, and the price goes up from there, you understand. But the gospel calls us to com- uncommon sacrifice. And then finally, the gospel calls believers to be agents of healing. And that's all the way through this text too. Agents of healing between very, very different people. And I think it's very interesting that we come to that kind of a text today. Now, I want to read this, this portion today. I'm going to read starting at chapter 4, verse 2, which was last week's text, and you'll see how we transition then to where we're going to start really at verse 7. But let's hear the word of God. Then Colossians 4, starting verse 2, we read, 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, keeping watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in, and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And there he concludes this letter. So the gospel calls believers to a common mission. Perhaps there were different phrases that stood out as I read through that list of names. I want to start by just a comment on verse 12, Epaphras who shows up previously in this letter, chapter 1 and verse 7, as, as the person through whom God brought the gospel to the church in Colossae. Now, a little bit of geography, if you have happened to look at the maps in the back of your Bible, maybe you have that, maybe you don't. If you have an actual physical Bible, then you could do that, or you pull it up on Google. But the Lycus Valley in Asia, Asia Minor is the home to Colossae and these other cities that are mentioned, uh, Laodicea and so on, Hierapolis, really fairly close geographically. And Paul is assuming there's going to be an interchange of letters. Uh, some people get into this discussion legitimately when they talk about the development of the, of the Bible, the canon, the, 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 the approved books, the books that belong in the Bible, the books that don't. These kinds of little details often show up in that discussion, that, that these were letters specifically from Paul that were worth one church sharing with another and saying, be sure to read their letter, be sure to read their letter. So these are the kinds of things that percolate through church history as of significance, though you may never have thought of that. It's all part of the, 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 the backstory, I suppose, of this text. Epaphras, though, I call him out because the book begins with him as the missionary uh, planter, church planter, and here it tells you about the common mission. Here's what he's after, that you may stand mature and fully assured 
in all the will of God, that you wouldn't be a baby Christian, that along the years, as the word of God, spirit of God work on you, that you'd grow up in faith. You'd be able to feed yourself. Think about that with children as they grow. There are marks of maturity. We do this as we raise our kids. When they're little, they need a lot of care. They make a lot of messes. We clean up after them. We love them, even though they fall down all the time when they're trying to walk. But along the way, they, they learn to stand on their own two feet and fortunately feed themselves and clean up after themselves. And we teach them important things like, like how to say please and thank you and all kinds of things like that. Well, that's the Christian life too. And that's what Epaphras is, is working on. He said, I so long for this group of believers. Yes, come to faith, but to, but to grow, to grow, to learn how to feed themselves, care for themselves and, and do all those things that a mature person would do. Fully assured in the will of God. Know how to know what, uh, learn what God has for you. Now, I'm just saying, this gospel task, this common mission, permeates this text. Uh, you will find, I just could go through them all, and I'm not going to do that for the sake of time. But, but Tychicus, look what he's doing. Onesimus, my goodness, he's telling about the gospel and what it's doing in the lives of other people. Aristarchus has been in prison with Paul. There's a common mission, which then leads us to the next element. There's a common sacrifice here. And again, it's all over the text. Paul references back in verse 3 that he's writing from prison. We've acknowledged that as we've studied this book. It's one of the prison epistles. Paul's writing this from jail. He signs off in verse 18 by saying, remember my chains. That's a very interesting phrase. Remember where I'm at, guys. I'm not writing to you from the city park. I'm not writing to you from Disneyland. Okay? There's, there's a price to be paid. I'm paying it. I'm in prison right now. And follow Jesus. Do you hear me? Now, I want to do something here. I'm going to go back. and I want to read uh, back from chapter 1, just several texts through Colossians that talk about this, this, this struggle for the gospel. You're going to see it in a couple of areas. One is the struggle to see the gospel work, out, work its way through in your life, the struggle for maturity, the struggle to grow up in faith. That's outlined in this, in this book a lot. And then secondly, of course, uh, seeing the gospel advance. But what I want to do, if you want to just look back with me, I want you to hear it again. The language that Paul uses to say, I am sweating for this, okay? I am, Paul would say. So he comes back to chapter 1, verse 24, is where I'll start. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I'm suffering for your sake, okay? This is hard work. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, those who have not seen my face. Verses 6 to 8 talk about that personal struggle, don't they? Walk in him, rooted, built up, established in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thanksgiving. Don't be taken captive, he says. Don't be taken captive by things that aren't true. Just because you read it on the internet doesn't make it so, Paul could say, had there been an internet back in the day. Chapter 3, verse 5. Again, that struggle to live out the faith, to grow up. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. And he gives a list. He's pointing out there's a, there's a, a sacrifice, there's a struggle to see the gospel work its way through your life. And then, of course, we've mentioned chapter 4, verse 3, and 4, verse 10, and, and um, Epaphras and his struggle. All of these point to that common sacrifice. You know, it was interesting. A couple weeks ago, you know that I was 
um, able to participate in the European Leadership Forum. And um, I had several sessions where I, I, I could see the people that I was interacting with, and several were just like here on a normal Sunday, you can't see anybody. The only way to connect with these people all over Europe was they, they could hear my voice and they could see me, but I couldn't see them. But then there was a chat screen and the Q&A screen, okay? And it was interesting. One of the sessions, I was speaking to people in ministry um, from a whole bunch of places. I didn't know who they all were. Um, and we were talking about this. Because I, I, I know, having been there once and from others speaking to me about this, that a lot of people come to seminar or things like that or workshops or, in this case, a network, just tired. I don't need mean they need a nap. Just beaten up, chewed up. They're working in hard places. And so there was a certain place where I stopped and I said, okay, here's what we're talking about. Talk, talk to me. Now, use your chat function or a Q&A function if you have something you'd like a response to. But how have you seen what we're talking about here in your life? And then there's this awkward pause because they're hopefully typing, but you don't know if anybody is. So you pause to let them either answer or not, knowing that in about two minutes, if nothing shows up, you kind of go, well, all right then. Um, moving on to the next topic. Uh, but, but let me tell you, in about two minutes, both screens just blew up with pain. No, seriously. You're right. I've come here so discouraged. I don't know if I can go on. I've been serving in this place for 18 years. There's no visible fruit to show from it. Do you th- how about this? Do you think it's possible to really come back from a place of burnout? Another one said, my dad's a pastor in name the country. He, he, he went on holiday, and when he came back, they tossed him out. How do you get over that? And I'm just telling you, line upon line of sadness and hurt, and it was my privilege to say, dear people, you know, I, all I have for you is the word of God. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up now. And here's why. But just that little connection over electronics. And here, I, I look at Paul. He's, he's in a prison. He's, he's not taking college courses in this prison. He's not watching TV all day. Uh, the latter part of his life is 2 Timothy 2, of course, the Mamertine prison, very famous in, in Rome. Not a happy place to hang out. And he's, he's writing this to say, follow Christ, dear people. Don't give up. Don't give up. There's a, there's, a, there's a price to be paid to see the gospel work its way through your life, to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. So there's a common mission that all of these people have embraced, and there is, I call it, uncommon sacrifice to, to live a life before the Lord that's honoring to him and to see the gospel advance, to see a local church keep going. There is, there is, there's, a, there's, there's pain involved in that. There just is. Some of you know it. Yes, I do too. Uh, I've heard more than one veteran pastor say uh, to young guys, did you know that sheep bite? You have to percolate on that just a little bit. And uh, enough people say, yeah, I kind of got that. Yes, I know. Well, uh, there's a third element then. So the gospel calls us to a common mission. It's all through the text. 
I just mentioned a couple examples. The gospel calls us to an uncommon sacrifice. And third, the gospel calls believers to be agents of healing. Now, what do I mean by that? Agents of healing. First, from the text, okay? If you, if you look at how Paul describes all these people, he starts with this guy named Tychicus, who's apparently a great guy. He's traveling with Onesimus. Who's Onesimus? Now, let me think. Do you know anybody named Onesimus in the, in the New Testament? It would appear that this is the guy who's the subject of the book of Philemon. Philemon's the, the slave owner. Onesimus, the runaway slave. Well, okay, now, folks, uh, there was, in, in a culture where those things took place, not with approval, spoken of, here's not spoken of with approval, it's spoken with what is. Onesimus is a runaway slave. There's a whole variety of opinions in any given culture about what you do with runaway slaves. Christians did not always agree. Culture did not always agree. Paul mentions only about Onesimus, he's a faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, he's a runaway slave who belongs to Philemon. Let's see how that goes. He, he, he says, here he is. He's traveling with Tychicus. He's, he's a faithful and beloved brother. And then he talks about, take a look, Aristarchus and, and Mark. Aristarchus, of course, you read about in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 19. He goes to prison. He, Paul isn't joking here when he says, my fellow prisoner. He, that's not metaphorical. He was a fellow prisoner. He gets, he gets thrown in the, in the slammer. I think it's Acts 19. I think it's the chapter. You'd have to look it up. But he goes to prison. And then Mark, what do you make of this statement? That Mark, uh, the cousin of Barnabas, well, we know that from the book of Acts, uh, that Mark, the guy who gave us the gospel of Mark later on, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Why would you say that about somebody? Hey, if he shows up at your church, be nice to him. Why would you, why would you say that? Unless there's the possibility that when Mark shows up, you're going to have people going, oh, it's, get a load of that. Something. You wouldn't say this. Now, you know a little bit, if you are familiar with people in the Bible, Mark, of course, yes, cousin of Barnabas, who went along on one of Paul's missionary journeys and went home to his mommy, uh, went home when things got hard. He bailed. I don't know, young guy, I don't know if he was the baggage carrier, but for some reason or another, there's a lot of reason to believe that he came from a family of wealth and position and privilege. And if you're going to travel with Paul on a mission trip, we don't really care about the credentials and whatever 1% you belong to. Grab the bags, partner, we're getting on this sailing ship. And by the way, that's your berth over there. It's where you're going to sleep. So for whatever reason, Mark ran home. Well, then later on, Barnabas said, hey, let's take him. Let's give him another chance. Remember this? Acts 15. Paul says, no, he's a lightweight. Barnabas said, yeah, give the guy a chance. Barnabas said, uh, uh, that's what Barnabas said. Paul said, not, no, I need somebody who's going to stay with me. Barnabas said, no, no, you've got to be a gospel of a second chance. Paul said, no. And they split. It got so tense between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took Mark and went off and did ministry. And Paul said, fine, I'll take Silas and we're going over here. That's all recorded in Acts 15, good and bad and the ugly. It's in the Bible. Well, Mark, apparently, somewhere along the way, did grow up a little bit. And so here, uh, Paul says, hey, if Mark shows up, be nice to him. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun. Of course, later on, you remember, um, 
famously, 2 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul's life comes to an end, he says, send Mark. He's a valuable ministry partner. So Paul got over it too. But I'm saying this, as you, as you take a look now, uh, verse 11, Paul mentions a couple guys who were good Jewish brothers. He mentions Epaphras again, this, this wonderful worker. Luke, uh, clearly a white-collar guy, is a doctor. Dem- do you remember the name Demas? This is looking ahead a little bit, and I shouldn't do that. But Demas is with Luke, and he's greeting, sending greetings as a brother. Second Timothy, uh, I think it's chapter 4 again, you find out Demas, if it's the same guy. Demas, having loved this present world, has gone off. Is it the same guy? Probably. Partner of Paul. Paul doesn't know that at this moment. That Demas, who's with him, there's come a day he's going to run off too, loving the present world. He doesn't know that. We're jumping ahead. And, and Nympha, uh, the King James Version and the, the New King James following the majority text, um, translates this nymphus and causes, calls this a church in his house. The newer translations based on better textual tradition. No, really. Uh, translate this as nympha and the church in her house. Okay, interesting. Very, very interesting. My point is this. Through this text, the gospel is, is, the, is the main thing that draws together Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. Now, again, you might think that we would just come up with that as a theme in light of all that's going on in our world. No, not so. It's there in the Bible all over the place, and it's here in today's text. The gospel is intended to be an agent of healing the brokenness between people of all sorts. Again, I say it's all over the New Testament. I'll think with you about Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. Jews and Gentiles, I'm telling you what, the the, the rift between Jew and Gentile in the early days was as strong as any rift today between peoples. Anytime one group calls the other dogs and means it, it kind of comes with some baggage. Gentile dogs. How do you like that? Welcome to our church, Gentile dog. Yeah, have a seat in the front. Now, there, was a, there was a division between them. Uh, slave and free. Wow, different classes of people. Male and female. There was a divide. The gospel should be an agent of healing here. Now, uh, Acts 15, Galatians 2. You remember this? When we studied Galatians, there was a moment when Peter, remember, uh, was hanging out. I called it a church potluck, you understand, tongue-in-cheek. He's at a church potluck sitting down with the Gentiles. He's a good Jewish boy. And then some other Jews came from Jerusalem, and Peter picks up his chicken and potato salad and moves over to the Jewish table. And remember, Paul calls him out and says, hey, Peter, that's not the way the gospel works. The gospel is supposed to break down those barriers. You get your little chicken and potato salad back over there with the Gentiles, and you hang out with them. No, the gospel is supposed to be an agent of healing. And then, of course, Ephesians 2, big section, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Paul talks about the, the temple and the different barriers that kept the women in the women's court and the Gentiles in the court of the Gentiles and the good Jewish men who could be closest to the place of worship. And he says, Christ has broken down the barriers. See, Christ takes all that away. Well, 
So what do you do with that today? Now, just a, a comment or two about this. And again, all this leads us toward communion, where we remember Christ is the one who truly pulls us together. I just finished a book, all of this getting ready for uh, the preaching series on culture this fall. Um, this is, uh, I just finished this. It just came out this year, 2020 um, publishing date, Uncommon Ground, uh, edited by Tim Keller and John Inazu, who's an attorney, teaches at some uh, place back east, good, good evangelical brother. And um, they pulled together a whole number of people to contribute to this book. And it's so interesting, the last two chapters of the book, both written by African-American people, you would think they had our, our current uh, challenges in mind. They didn't because they wrote this book before that. But I want to just tell you a little bit about both of these and just a, a, a sentence or two from them. Uh, one chapter here, uh, it's, it's entitled The Reconciler. It's written by a gal named Trillia Newbell, who is the Director of Community Outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. Good Christian lady. And she, she has some reflections on the role she sees God having given her as an African-American woman to be a reconciler in a broken culture. She says, every day when I wake up, I'm reminded of the fractures in this world. Where there's distant memory of past relationships or a look at social media, I'm confronted by the reality. People are divided, immersed in strife. The biggest reminder for me, though, is nothing external to me. It's that I wake up every morning with milky brown skin. She said, this is the skin crafted by a creator God, and I'm grateful for it. But it's also the skin that leads to bigotry, prejudice, and discrimination. But God has called me, she says, to be a reconciler. It's a wonderful chapter written with grace, healing, and honesty. From her angle saying, let me just tell you how it is. But there's just a couple things here that she says toward the conclusion of this chapter, which I would recommend to you if you, if you are interested in this sort of thing. Uh, she says, anytime I've assumed that I know what someone will say or what he or she is thinking, it has never ended well for me. We tend to do that, don't we? I know what that person thinks. And no, you don't. No, you don't. She says, another part of being slow to speak, she's commending a Christian value. How do you live faithfully in this world? She's commended shutting your mouth. Like listening more talking less. Isn't that revolutionary? I think that's in the Bible too. But she says another part of being slow to speak is discerning whether to speak at all. Not every statement or event requires an outward response from you or me. Just because everybody's yakking about something on Facebook or whatever social media doesn't mean you need to give your two cents worth and get smacked as well. Amen? Right. She says, for most of us, waiting and praying might be the best option. And this whole chapter was written, again, before all of the, the recent things to talk about. Now, the next chapter, also written by an African-American guy, Claude Richard Alexander, uh, who's a pastor back in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ring any bells? Charlotte, North Carolina. And he, again, as with the gal that I just mentioned, talks about his life growing up in the South as an African-American. And then he says this. He says, were it not for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would be easy for me in my anger to be radicalized. When I think about all of this, it is clear that overcoming wounds and bringing and making peace can only be the result of a supernatural encounter with Christ. 
His chapter is entitled, The Peacemaker. So one of them, the reconciler, the other, the peacemaker. And I'm saying, where are you people? This is awesome stuff. Both chapters, I just want to like tweet them all or put them all on Instagram or something. But I know that probably is not a good thing right now. All of this to say, the gospel calls believers to be agents of healing. And this world is, is bankrupt on what brings people together. And the gospel is that gift from God to this world that says, no, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, whatever division is there, however real the hurts, however real the injustice, no, the gospel is what should bring us together. I believe that. I think that's the role of the church today in this fractured world. Now, here's the thing. We're going to remember Christ today, down through the years, down through the years, 2,000 years. Communion has been a reminder to us of what we have in common. Today, people often celebrate differences. I honor and respect differences, but differences sometimes divide. And as followers of Jesus, that which draws us together is the story of Jesus Christ himself, his death, burial, and resurrection. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and I'll take a moment to explain how we're going to receive communion today. And those at home can get the elements ready. I know many of you will celebrate communion there in your fam- with your family unit at home. But I want to pray for us here that God would help us during this time. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this text in Colossians. And I thank you for the way that the gospel works its way through a culture and a church. I'm so thankful for this. And Father, we need the gospel to continue to work its way through our lives as well. We often have blind spots, things we don't even see, whether it's a specific area of sin or it's a way we treat people that we're, we find differences with them, whether it's people with different skin color or language background or from some country, or whatever the deal is. We often have places in our heart that don't line up with the gospel and we don't even notice. And our Father, I pray that even, even now, that you would show us those things, that we would be agents of healing in this world because of Jesus, that we would guard our words, that we would truly love people. Help us with this. And even now, as we reflect on Christ, speak to us about what it means to live as Jesus in this broken world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.